In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Welcome, everybody, to this podcast of The Kingdom and Its Stories. We're so glad you've joined us today, whether you're uh, coming in on video or you're just listening. We're delighted to have you with us. Just as a reminder, uh, this podcast is about listening to the stories of our brothers and sisters who have said to the Lord, Lord, use me so that my hands and feet are yours to draw others outside of the kingdom to our Savior. And this morning, we have a good friend of mine, um, Jack Oppenheisen, who is, um, I've known Jack now, I don't know how many years, but it's been a number of years. And, uh, and uh, I know Jack, but you don't. So Jack, tell us, give us an elevator speech is who's Jack Oppenheisen and what's your story? Go ahead. <laughs> well, good morning, Bob. This is great to be here. Um, you know, it's it's fun to actually just um, have these kinds of experiences where we reflect together, um, I think, on the goodness of the Lord and um, consider how his church is really embracing the world around us. Um, I was kind of born into that story. I, I grew up on the Navajo Reservation um, in northern New Mexico in the United States, which means that I grew up in indigenous culture. And um, did, so although my skin may be white, uh, my, brown is, my, my heart is brown. Um, I do life a little differently as a, re- as a result of that. Um, understanding the indigenous protocol was something I grew up in, sitting at my dad's feet in, you know, in chapter house meetings. I, um, I, I'm a, a guy who has um, worked in the corporate world, has uh, run my own businesses, as well as I've been a ministry leader um, in different contexts around the world. And I, um, I have really, um, in my life, had a real heart for people that are on the margins and, and looking at how do we mobilize them, not only into businesses, but also into the arts, into um, ministry, and into every aspect of society. And I believe that as we do that, um, we, we change society and we are changed in the process. So, Jack, please tell us about the story of your disability. And in your case, how did it happen? Yeah, you know, I um, I think the thing that we oftentimes forget is is that um, God's story is is very much embedded in our story, and so as we own our own story, we own His story, and He reflects out um, through that. So my story really has a lot to do with with disability and limitation and loss. Um, I wouldn't say that it started. Um, I was start I, I I in my family. I had a very amazing uh, set of parents and, and family, and, and that gave me a deep foundation, um, but that was tested at one point. Uh, I was in Bible college in, in Sweden and England and Israel and had the experience of um, really going through a dark night of the soul. Um, and what that normally does is that's something that the old saints used to kind of call um, kind of a, a cloud that comes over the soul, and you have to walk through it. There's no kind of escaping it. 
um, that experience kind of, you know, solidified a, a deep sense of God's presence in my life. Um, after that experience, I was in Israel. I was doing a rock climbing experience. Um, I, 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 well, I was there actually as a student, and uh, but at one site called Caesarea Philippi in the in the Golan Heights, um, I ended up um, uh, scaling the cliff, which is something that was absolutely anybody that grew up in New Mexico. Um, we did all the time. We we free climbed all the time, and and uh, I ended up having part of the cliff um, slough off. And uh, as a result, I had an 80-foot mountain climbing fall. I was paralyzed from the waist down and spent three months in the hospitals with with all the boys coming straight out of the the war zone um, there in the Golan. So that's kind of how I got started in the whole process of I was was born into mission and and baptized into – into uh, uh, into disability, and I and I, I kind of say that a little jokingly and tongue in cheek, but reality is there's one billion people around the world, and I was introduced and inducted into a new tribe of people, um, people that are they, you know that are oftentimes unseen and invisible in cultures and, and communities all around the world, and and so you're the cliff sloughing off. And you're falling 80 feet, and up in a hospital with Israeli kids that had been wounded um, was the really kind of the beginning, was it, of of your um, sensitivity to and ministry to uh, those with disabilities? Well, you know, the funny thing is, um, so you know, this whole experience of what we're going through right now. Um, geopolitically as we watch what's going on in Israel and in the Gaza um, is very real to me. It's very graphic. It's very visceral. Because for me, um, I was in a hospital just like there are hospitals that are near that war zone um, in Israel. And so, uh, you know, we had Arabs, we had Druze, we had um, we had Jews that were all in that hospital together. So, and, and it was, it, it's not like in the United States where we have individual hospital rooms. Um, you know, it was a ward, 18, 18 beds in the ward, nine beds on one wall, nine beds on the other wall, and blood, you know, arms and legs blown off, um, bullet holes through people's heads, gangrene, um, guys um, uh, kind of having all kinds of PTSD experiences. Um, so it was, it was a trauma. There was a trauma zone. And so for three months, it was a very deep experience. Um, for me, that was an experience that was very formative um, and informed me a, a lot about what happens in war zones, what happens um, in uh, any kind of war zone. Frankly, I, I've, I, I've, I've learned a lot about the human experience and what people go through emotionally and so forth. But for me, um, that was kind of the beginning of kind of that physical experience of having a disability. I was completely paralyzed from the waist down, couldn't walk, couldn't move, um, or anything of the sort um, like that. And so there were, um, but I would say that it was actually over the course of um, probably several years that I began to really learn how to really be a part of that tribe. Um, that that uh, During that process, um, I was at university at Arizona State University, and one of the things that I did is start something called Personal Challenge Day, um, and it became a very vibrant part of the university. We ended up having like ten to fifteen thousand people that were exposed to some of the top top disability leaders um, in the in the movement globally, as well as um, 
uh, getting people that had, let's say, for example, who were quadriplegics and they would be painting on the mall. And we had um, bands. We had, you know, a guy that uh, was uh, in the Guinness World Book of Records that ended up, you know, um, being on the, the top, one of the top gymnasts in the world. And, you know, and, and the whole ASU t- um, the, OA, the whole ASU gymnastics team came out and, um, and you know, and supported this. So, we, you know, so I, I've always kind of championed people with disabilities. But there was a point at which um, after I kind of he- learned how to walk and, and my, my career kind of took off, uh, got married, uh, was raising kids, that I had a very, uh, another very abrupt experience. And that was where um, I really learned to own my disability. And that that came um, in New Zealand through an experience of of really loving people with disabilities and seeing the 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 power of God and the loving presence of God manifest in their lives. So I would say I was kind of in one sense a I slow walked my journey. Um, always had a heart for people with disabilities. Worked on behalf of people with disabilities. But there's a difference between championing them. And being a person that really owns that 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 experience and what, that Jack, what, what is that difference? I think there's a very big different qualitative a big qualitative difference. Um, I, and I would actually hearken back actually to Romans eight. Romans eight is a, a scripture where um, it says all of us are children of God. Um, and then in verse seventeen it says. Um, um, but we are co-heirs with the Christ if indeed we suffer with him. And there, that if is a qualitative thing that when we embrace the brokenness, the suffering, the trials, the adversary, the adversity, it has a way of informing our identity how to be united with Christ. And we walk in that brokenness not as depleted people, not as people defined by our brokenness, but defined by being broken bread and poured out wine for Christ. And so there's a way in which you relate to people that's a, a little bit deeper. There's a way in which you understand how to listen to, to God's voice in those moments where things are, are, are chaotic and trying, not only for you, but for other people. And you're able to speak that sense of destiny and identity into people's lives that have experienced deep brokenness. Yeah, I'm just, you know, really, I think, Jack, identifying with what you're saying, when I look at my own life and and I, and when I saw how broken I really was, mm-hmm. it allowed me to, to see other people mm. um, with much more compassion, yeah. you know, when you think you can, you can overcome, and you're strong enough to, to make everything right, and um, you can do it. You can lift yourself by your bootstraps, and you realize you can't do that. Um, it gives, uh, it has given me much more of an opportunity to, to in my heart, empathize with and identify with others mm-hmm. we're all broken and uh mm-hmm. you know without god um <laughs> yeah. no there's no there's no there's no salvation yeah, yeah. so well no, tell that's us very true i mean i just to ping off that um i think in many ways um you know I, when something 
traumatic happens to us or something that, uh, you know, maybe an expectation in a relationship is is broken. Um, there are other kinds of things that are just very difficult for us to handle, right? When, when we call somebody and, and seek for help, I've never known anybody that goes, you know, I want to call the most successful person in the world, right? <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah. Not no, in human situation. I don't know no. of any culture that we do that. You call somebody that has been through the fire. You call yeah. somebody who has been through the water and has has gone, hey, listen, if they survived, I want to know how they did it. Right. And if yeah. they not only survived, but they are living and living well, I want to know how they do that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something really gritty about that. I remember with my accident, I, uh, I was with a guy by the name of Peter Thomas, and Peter's a very good friend of mine, but... At the time, uh, Major Ian Thomas's dad um, was, uh, you know, kind of a well-known figure. Um, he was a major in uh, in World War II and in significant voice, um, at least in the Christian world. And um, and Peter w- was with me and was kind of well-known in a lot of circles. And um, the first thing I asked him in an underground hospital after they um, brought me into what looked like a bombed-out old school, but it happened to be an underground hospital in northern Israel, um, is I grabbed him and I said, what was the hardest thing that you have gone through? Um, you know, have you been complete, Have you been at death's door? Do you know what it's like? And is there anything that you can tell me from that time? And he, you know, and it wasn't that I was looking for him, like, give me the, the eight steps to be successful, dude. Right. right. You no, know, it wasn't that at all. It was like, I want to know what broke you at the very core where you knew you had no hope left but God. And he shared. And he shared. And he shared. And he shared something that was so deeply personal and so deeply, profoundly painful. But there was an invisibility. Most people didn't know that. I think in most of our lives, we have no idea the level of pain, but we have no idea the level of glory that we have. And we have become a people in our culture that, are not, that do not have eyes to see the glory, that do not have eyes to see the pain, do not have that. I mean, if something's invisible, we get really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. We don't know how to deal with it, right? If somebody takes our rights, we're going to fight them. If somebody actually says something, we're going to smack them back with other words. That's kind of this combative, you know, litigious kind of culture we live in. I I, I find that it really has broken and drained us from the capacity of what we really offer the world with our presence. Okay. For those of you who just joined, um, we're listening to the Kingdom and its Stories And this podcast, we interview people who, through sharing their experiences, can help us examine our own lives and ask, Lord, how can you use who I am, as broken as I might be, but sustained by you? How can you use me to encourage other people and to disciple them? into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So Jack, let me let me transition then. That what you just share with us is your experience. Now how, get tell us some stories of how you've used that experience to help others. Yeah. I think that there has been a lot of times that I have <laughs> if I kind of reflect back with a little bit of humor, I would actually say 
Uh, God uses me best when I have the least to offer. <laughs> what a surprise. I mean, I, he uses me best when I'm oftentimes the most broken. When I, uh, you know, I have, I've been in hospitals on all four, I mean, on, on four continents. I haven't been in Africa yet in a hospital, but I have had very significant experiences um, medically all around the world and have been at death's door in, in all around the world. And I have found that it's in moments when I have um, been broken and really don't have a lot to offer that God shows up. And I'll give okay, you, well, I'll give you a story you, about give that. Give me some stories that illustrate story. that. So I remember one night in, in northern Israel, um, there were air raid sirens every day that would, uh, that would go off. Um, Katusha brought, uh, rockets that were made in Iran and, and, and Russia were being dropped all around us. Uh, we didn't know if the hospital would be hit. We could be hit at any moment. And we knew that if the hospital was hit, that I likely wouldn't make it out alive because it, the way that it works in a society like that is, is that people and volunteers from the community come in and your family come in to help you. Well, I, I, was, I was, you know, 9,000 miles away or whatever it is um, from my family, and there was nobody. So the soldiers actually said to me, they said, hey, listen, you, you know, you're going to die. You don't have family. You don't have anybody that's going to come for you. And so it was very graphic and, and you know, being paralyzed in, in, from the waist down in a bed. You can't get out of bed. You can't do anything if something does happen. Well, in the middle of the night, um, I remember somebody had given me a book. And I was reading yeah, at about 2 o'clock in the morning. I had borrowed the nurse's lamp because there were no lights. Um, we, literally, it was like a lamp. And, and uh, so I was holding up the lamp above me. And reading, and um, all of a sudden, there was an eerie presence that happened all around me. And, um, and I, I was like, there was something very uncomfortable. And uh, all of a sudden, I looked up and uh, looked beyond the light, the light of the lamp, and I was surrounded by soldiers, um, AK-47s, dressed in fatigues, straight from the field. Um, and, and, uh, and I said, who are you? And they said, um, we came to hear what God did at the cliff. And, um, and so I was like, okay, I, I, I'm an 18-year-old kid. I don't, I don't have anything to really say that's profound. I'm just a, a, you know, a kid that's broken that's 18. They're like, yeah, we're 18 as well. We want to hear what God did at the cliff. And, and that, has, that has matured into a relationship with those, with those men and women um, where for 40 years I have, I have walked with them. I know their children. Um, I, I, I have I have been through their heartache when their children are sent off to war and their grandchildren are waiting for their mom to come back or their dad to come back and things aren't good. So, you know, so that's, you know, that's one that's one story that um, that I, I that has remained true in my life. Oftentimes it's when I'm the most broken that God uses me the most efficiently. Well, well. Jack, I, I know that there are hundreds of thousands of people that you've worked with all around the world. Can you tell us other stories of people with disabilities that you've encountered? Yeah, there are thousands of stories. I, you know, I, let me tell you, um, let me tell you about a couple people. Um, one person that I, I think is is a really um, powerful person um, in my life. Um, is a guy by the name of Dale, and and I met Dale in New Zealand. I remember kneeling next to him, and he um, he had very severe CP. Um, he was kind of hunched over in an electric wheelchair, and had a helmet on his head with a stylus 
um, that was on top of the helmet. And, um, and I, I got down on my knees, and I, I suggest this is one of the best things that all of us do. Get down to the level of where people are at or up to mm-hmm. the level, wherever. Get in their space. Don't demand that they are in our space. Not in their face, in their you know, space. In their, that's right. <laughs> Not in their face, yeah. but in their space. Learn how to graciously be with them. So mm-hmm. I, I oftentimes take a knee, and, and um, if I'm standing, I use a wheelchair as well. And so if I'm a wheelchair, I know what it's like to be three feet tall. I know what it's like to have everybody looking over you, and you're invisible. Um, and, uh, and so I, I looked at him, and I said, hey, my name is Jack. What's your name? And it took him literally probably a couple minutes to type on, type out on a board on his in front of him on his wheelchair. Hi, my name is Dale. And so um, I was like, "Great, uh, Dale, I, tell me a little bit. Where are you from?" He goes, "He had to type it out. Auckland, New Zealand, St. Jones Hospital." I said, "Wow, how long have you been at St. Jones Hospital?" And you know, and. His face was literally twisted and contorted as he had to think through each letter to get mm. it down. Mm. And so, um, so I, I, I said, how long have you lived at St. Jones Hospital? And I'll never forget the words. He said, I never left. Mm. And this is a 45-year-old man who has lived in the very same ward that he was born into for 45 oh. years in a Western hospital. And I'm thinking... Wow, that's amazing that that he's not engaged in you know community life outside the hospital or in a church or in a, a group of friends um, that might take him out on a walk you know and 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 so forth. Well, I tell you what I, I he surprised me because I, he um, he was one of the most um, wonderful mentors that I had in life. Um, and um, I visited New Zealand numerous times. And I remember at one point um, getting off the stage where I was speaking for you know a fairly large regional conference of about 600 um, folks with disabilities, and some of them were able-bodied and caretakers and, and um, uh, from, uh, from Hong Kong, from Fiji, and other places. And, um, and I said, um, Dale, I, I want to worship with you. I, I I see how you worship, and when they strap you in with um, with lamb's wool and into a cot, you you can convulse, and I can tell that you know what it's like to be in the presence of God. I want that, and so I got off the stage and I would lay next to him, and you know, and I just was I was just absorbing a sense of glory by being with him when he when I when I. Uh, when I said goodbye to him I, the last time that I said goodbye, um, somebody said to me, they said, uh, I saw the white van driving away, bringing him back to the hospital, very clinical. And I was like, that doesn't feel, that, that's not, I, I love that guy. He's a great man of God. Well, as it turns out, they said, you know, did you know that he's been raped hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and oh, hundreds man. of times? And, oh, I, and, and I thought, if he knows what glory is, and he knows deep, profound pain. That's a consequential presence in this world. Yeah. Now, if we miss those kind of people, what are we, what are we, why are we so absorbed with our concrete kind of image-bearing kind of, like we, like we, we have it together. We well, don't. No, we don't. 
Well, so yeah, Jack, thank you for sharing. We have a little about thirty seconds left. I want you to challenge those who are listening um, to consider what they might do for people with disabilities. Yeah, I think number one is um, if I'm just going to be really direct. Number one, be a friend. Don't be somebody who goes to serve them, do nice things for them, and, you know, and, and be compassionate. No, be a friend. I mean, really, get into their world. Be a, par- be a part of their world. Be a part of their, their difficulties when they can't go to the bathroom. Be a part of their, um, be a part of their, their journey when their relationships are broken. Um, and really engage. Number two is, you know, be willing to be invisible. Be willing to step into the invisible world of them and let them be your guide to understand a whole world that you don't understand because you really don't understand. Thank you. Thank you, brother, for sharing with us today. God bless you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify.